truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with us as well. 888-933-93 is the number if you'd like to join us. 888-933-93. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Three ways to do that. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. we got a lot going on here today. Three non-political questions coming up at the bottom of the hour. It is a Theology Thursday. We're going to start a new series uh, for Theology Thursday over the next five weeks based on something that uh, we did at my uh, local church recently that I thought, you know what, I think these are five points that often come up whenever theology gets discussed here or elsewhere that I think it'd be good uh, if we tackled those individually here on the show as well. And so we're going to start a new Theology Thursday series next hour called Five Dumb Things Smart People Believe. All right, so we're looking forward to that. And a good friend of the show, Dr. Duke Pesta, is going to be with us. He was on Fox Business Network recently with an interesting proposal on how to, um, I guess we would, we'd call it, make college less expensive. I liked it. I, I doubt, though, the powers that be, the educrats, will go along with it, though. But uh, we'll let uh, we'll let Duke share that with you coming up uh, a little bit later on. On our show each day, we come to drop truth bombs. Our friends at Swiss America do the exact same thing. Uh, they've got a brand new report out right now called The Secret War, which explains why government wants every financial transaction to be taxable, trackable, and therefore blockable. Uh, the report is yours for free uh, and because they want to warn you of what's coming. Uh, what's coming is a, a version of China's social credit system where computer algorithms that Google develops uh, assign each of Chinese China's uh, 1.3 billion citizens with a score based on government loyalty. They believe a similar system is coming here as well. And that's what a fiat currency and the modern banking system and everything else has been pointing towards is more government control. If you want to learn more about this, it falls right in line with what we've always told you in the end. Progressivism is about control. That's really what it's about. If you want to get this report and learn more for yourself, it's called The Secret War. It's yours free today at 800-289-2646. That's 1-800-289-2646. Or you can visit them online at SwissAmerica.com. Again, that's SwissAmerica.com. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Confusion. After yesterday's statement by the former special counsel Robert Mueller, the Department of Justice and a representative from the special counsel had to issue a statement of clarification regarding whether or not Trump would have been charged with obstruction had he not been a sitting president, which some people thought was the case based on Mueller's statement yesterday. It seems now, though, the official position of the special counsel and the Department of Justice is that Trump is in some murky, undefined middle ground where he's neither guilty nor innocent. President Trump, your thoughts. No, Russia did not help me get elected. You know who got me elected? You know who got me elected? I got me elected. Russia didn't help me at all. Russia, if anything, I think 
help the other side. Moving on, Disney CEO Bob Iger says he's going to have some issues working with Georgia because of that state's recent bill protecting unborn children. Well, I think if it becomes law, uh, it'll be very difficult to produce or rather doubt we will. Um, I don't think it, one, I think many people who work for us will not want to work there and um, we'll have to heed their wishes in that regard. Right now we're, we're watching it very carefully. Um, I guess there's some speculation it could be enacted sometime after the first of the year. I think it's also likely to be challenged in the courts and that could delay it. And we're being, we're, we're being careful and cautious about it. But if it becomes law, um, I, I don't see how it's practical for us to continue to shoot there. In completely unrelated news, Disney filmed part of the last Star Wars film in Bolivia, where abortion is completely illegal. A man set himself on fire in front of the White House yesterday. His condition isn't known. And now a gaffe. Lots of families do have to make that decision based on the single characteristic of finding out that their children, that their fetus has a severe abnormality. Did you hear that? Let's let's listen to that again. Lots of families do have to make that decision based on the single characteristic of finding out that their children, that their fetus has a severe abnormality. Huh. And now we go back to kind of where we started with Donald Trump and what goes on from here with the a collusion obstruction narrative. Last week, Congressman Justin Amash shocked some and greatly pleased some others when he stated on Twitter that he believes Donald Trump committed impeachable offenses without actually giving anyone an idea of what those impeachable offenses are. Well, later in the week, he did. All of what you're about to hear is on his Twitter account, and he doesn't point to exactly where in the Mueller report he gets this information, but here we go. Here's a few examples of what Justin Amash thinks Trump should be impeached for. Asking former FBI Director James Comey to stop investigating then-National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Asking former Attorney General Jeff Sessions to unrecuse himself from the Russia investigation to help Trump. Directing White House Counsel Don McGahn to have Special Counsel Mueller removed on the basis of conflict of interest. And then once that incident had been reported to create a false record stating the opposite. Trump asked Corey Lewandowski to tell former Attorney General Jeff Sessions to limit the scope of the special counsel's investigation, and if Sessions didn't do this, he'd be fired. Trump apparently used his pardon power to influence people like Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen to not comply with the investigation. After yesterday's statement by Robert Mueller, Justin Amash doubled down, saying, The ball is on our court, Congress. Congressman Amash still, to our knowledge, has not made any effort to file articles of impeachment against President Trump. So, cool tweet storm, bro. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage today uh, brought to you by a really cool cruise that uh, we're putting together. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not, but uh, several of the VIPs here uh, at uh, The Blaze are. Uh, it's called A Cruise Through History. You're going to sail through the Eastern Mediterranean, visit Italy, Croatia, Jerusalem, Israel, Athens, and Greece. Explore the roots of Western civilization, which is what gave birth to this thing we call here American exceptionalism in the first place. There'll be plenty of gourmet food, uh, great nightlife, relaxing, uh, you know, poolside, oceanside, uh, you know, sort of uh, dalliances, but you're going to get a chance to really learn some stuff as well. Walk where Christ and the apostles walked. Uh, 
explore Venice, the birthplace of commerce, tour Greece, the origin of the Republic and democracy. And you can bring your children and grandchildren as well. If you want to learn more about this uh, fantastic trip next spring, uh, you can get details uh, and the different packages uh, are available to check out at comesailaway.com. All one word, comesailaway.com. All right, let's get to Aaron's montage. The, uh, the, the, the business plan of Bob Iger's, which is I want government to murder uh, scores of my potential future customers, is it's a fascinating business plan. I also don't believe like anything he said in that clip. I mean, like literally nothing. I I, mean, I, I don't believe. You know what? You know what that clip is? Uh, that clip is is primo virtue signaling. Is what that is. Okay. Yep. That is that's that's you know lefty Twitter where. You know, my five-year-old asked me today if I thought Trump was more Cardinal Richelieu uh, or, you know, uh, Franco before the Spanish uh, Civil War. That stuff never happens. Never happens. Right? We've seen those those Twitter streams get growing, get going with, you know, lefty Twitter. Uh, that's that version of that. Like, I don't believe any of that's true. I don't believe any of that is real. But we will discuss that some more today uh, in the overtime for our subscribers. Maybe he's just testing the possibility of the next Disney movie. Um, Kill all the little kids or we leave. I mean, that's got a certain (laughs) sing-song quality to it, don't you think? Yeah, it's a small world after all, Todd. Hey, hey. yeah. We're Disney here. We're here to make it smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I I, I don't believe any of that. I don't. I just don't. But we'll talk more about that later on. Um, we decided yesterday, uh, since Mr. Amash gave some specifics while we were away on vacation, that we would tackle them in the exact same time and manner in which we addressed his initial uh, foray into this uh, into this area of impeachment, right? Which was we mentioned we uh, looked at what he said and broke it down with our take on it right here during uh, the montage and the reaction to it. So. It's only fair now that he has provided some specifics. Let's go through these. How many of them are there, Aaron? Six. All right, let's go through these one by one that he has. All right, he says, Trump asked the FBI director to stop investigating Michael Flynn, who had been his campaign advisor and national security advisor, and who had already committed a crime by lying to the FBI. Uh, What is the context of asking that? What is the context? You're saying yeah. simply asking in and of itself yes. is not yeah, yeah. indicative yeah, of anything. Yeah, because I see when I when I looked at what you said initially, there's one of them that I am troubled by. The other the other five largely come down to what is the context. So are we saying that there is never a time that a so a president of the United States can hire and fire any FBI director anytime he wants? We all agree to that. That's his employee. So there is never a time. There is never a context. And in fairness to Amash, he, he doesn't give the exact context for this, but he does say later on what you just said. If you're the chief executor of the United States, guess what you get to do? You get to fire mm-hmm. and hire people at your will. It just depends on the motivation for doing that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I would like to know the context of that. Is that was the context of that? He has, you know, the guy's been through enough. We had to fire him. You know, he's he's already committed a crime. He's going to prison. He lied to the VP. You know, what more can we put it? You know, how much more are we going to put a guy through? Is it something like that? But I think you have to provide what is the context for the for for this particular one. And I say this, I am no fan of Mike Flynn. Thought it was a dumb choice. We said it was a dumb choice. Go watch our archives two and a half years ago. We thought it was a dumb choice when Trump made it. 
Um, but I, I don't know why you couldn't pick a national security advisor that hadn't taken a paycheck from Vladimir Putin and er Erdogan and, and uh, the Turkish caliphate. I mean, that's playing with matches. Uh, that's a down power line in the road. And you're like, wow, it, it's sparkly. I mean, there was no point to his hiring in the first place. All right. So I have no built in. You don't see me on Twitter like free Mike Flynn. He got a raw deal. I'm like, dude, you pled guilty. And if you pled guilty to stuff you didn't do, that's a you problem. I kind of feel like you're paying the stupid tax. That's my view. But your thoughts, Todd. Well, and furthermore, they they didn't stop investigating. They continued to investigate. They and we found what we found in the end. So here we are. Nothing was a, a request is not obstruction, right? And here we are. I think that's a gig, that that's why that, that's where the context comes into play. Because here's the other big idea. When I look through all of these, if you believe these are all impeachable offenses, then you largely believed Trump should have been impeached the moment he took office. Like, because you are assuming any motivation he would use to commit these acts is of a sinister origin. And so you just believe in, and by the way, it's not like, you know, that's a crazy opinion to have. It's not like, you know, it's not like Donald Trump wins the character Olympics on our show, but you're largely viewing this. My, my, my elevator big picture when I saw the, the original strain that Aaron just played out is you're, you're largely viewing these with, with every sinister motivation behind them because you have that vantage point coming into, in, into this conversation. Well, y yes. And there's also this. For most of these reasons uh, uh, for impeachable conduct uh, Amash lays out, um, I think like 95% of Washington should be removed from their offices probably yeah. if we start digging deep enough. Uh, if, if you're going to start with Trump, where I mean, if you're going to, if, if you're going to do Trump, then then why not do everybody else? Well, and that's, well? and by the way, and on our show, we'd be totally fine with that. Like, oh, we, be we would fine. be fine yeah, if like the festival. office halls at the Sam Rayburn building, like, and it was like that scene in the uh, in the Stan miniseries after the virus goes through the first time and there's just nothing happening in the halls and like leaves are coming in from the outside because everybody's gone and not there now. And and they fire up the blue oyster cult. We'd be told you, like, we'd be fine with that. Do you need to light a cigarette right now? Yes. But I think, you know, are you are we sure? And but this is where someone like a Justin Amash where if you're going to hold yourself up and I say this as a guy that tries to do this as principally as I can, which is why. I have a tendency to not have a lot of friends because if I'm going to say something, I have to then game plan this out. For example, okay, are you sure Nancy Pelosi's never called anybody in the ethics committee and said, hey, I think so-and-so has had a rough enough time. Can we just stop investigating them? Haven't they been through enough? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you have to, you've got to then make the case that you're not, that this is something of such extraordinary nature. Yeah, isn't this that like it another... overlooks the fact you literally go to work every day and punch a clock with a brood of vipers, yeah. a den of thieves, and whitewashed tombs, and four and and, se and several hundred of the absolute biggest crooks in the United States of America? All right, so so you have to acknowledge that it's it's Mitt Romney wants to go off about Trump's behavior, but then goes to work every day in the Senate and slaps yeah. five with people who are like, hey, after the baby's born, just you know, go ahead and uh, put it out of its misery if you'd like. And you know, I want to I want to make something because you're going to get. Well, if you're going to get 500 emails uh, simultaneously calling you a Trump humper and a uh, you 250 know, a piece, yeah, 250 a piece, a piece yes. yeah. uh, we're, we're not doing what aboutism here. We're just pointing out that everybody sucks. That, yes, that's about as simple yeah, like, as I can. I, if, put if, it. if he really believes this, then carry your standard all the way through. This is the challenge. Someone like me who enters into this field and tries to do it principally, I have to walk this out all the time, which is why you're seeing me. I don't endorse candidates anymore. I'm not, you're seeing, I, I can't walk it out anymore. The system's too bad. It's too wretched. I can't navigate it. So you know what I figured out how to do? 
don't. All right, let's get to the second uh, of his uh, accusations here. After Attorney General Sessions recused himself from the Russian investigation on the advice of Department of Justice ethics lawyers, Trump directly asked Sessions to reverse his recusal so that he could retain control over the investigation and help the president. I, I don't I don't see absolutely anything wrong with that, actually, whatsoever. Can these people all work for the president? I mean, I, I, I don't. And what's help the president mean? I mean, does it... Again, this comes down to your motivations. Help the president so that the investigation stays focused on Russian collusion. Help the president so that it doesn't veer off into, you know, what his blue personal dress. finances were. A blue dress, exactly. We don't veer off into what his personal finances were in 1992. I mean, what's, what, what does that mean? But in general, these people work for the president, okay? These people work for the president, that's it's these are all executive branch people. They all work for him. And and so I, I would like to know what what does it mean to help the president? What does that mean? I so far, if this is a trail of breadcrumbs, and I have read this, but uh if this is the trail of breadcrumbs he's going with, he may have well put out a tweet that uh Trump had a uh business called Trump Steaks once and it went bankrupt and just left it there. And that's so far, that's about as relevant to this impeachment as the, what he's talking about so far. It's clear, I, I, go I want, ahead. I want to put another. I feel like I'm I'm the great uh, contextualizer or clarifier right now. I think we're we're all giving our analysis from uh, a law breaking standpoint here, not necessarily an honor standpoint. Oh. Because yes, re, re, re unrecusing yourself just to help the president, you know, and of course we we need to know the context behind that as well. Unrecusing yourself, I think in my mind, and I mean, I want to know what you think, but in my mind, unrecusing yourself would be kind of a dishonorable thing. I don't think it's a criminal thing, though. Depends on, is, if it, I mean, if you, oh, yes. if, depends on if you're accused for a stupid reason yeah. or not. Okay. Yeah. So again, you know, let's ask go to, an, go ask an answer. Is Trump dishonorable? Yes. <laughs> Did do we have many good things to say increasingly over time about Jeff Sessions? No. Yeah, we get that. I mean, by this context, essentially everything Trump does is impeachable. Yes. yes. Because you view him as a person of low character. All right. And if you do, okay. But but that's that's again where the context is. Now this next one, on first glance, this is the one that I thought was his strongest one and troubled me the most. Trump directed the White House Counsel Don McGahn to have Special Counsel Mueller removed on the basis of pretextual conflicts of interest that Trump's advisors had already told him were ridiculous and could not justify removing the Special Counsel. On this one here, this to me is the one that has the most bona fides of the six that he that Aaron shared with us, because. The, here's here's what here's here is a reasonable narrative that could be crafted from this one that I don't think requires an orange man bad or Cheeto Jesus saves outlook on life. What what that and and when the Mueller report came out and I watched other people fleshing out segments of it at the time, this was the one that I thought that that will be a trigger because here's what essentially it says in my view. You guys can disagree with me if you'd like. What it says to me in my what it says in my view though is that if if Trump could have gotten his subordinates to go along with doing this, he would have carried it through. And only his subordinates' unwillingness to say, Mr. President, that's a terrible idea, it's bad behavior, and no, we won't carry that forth, um, is the only reason he didn't commit what clearly, if they had followed through with that, that clearly would have been some act, provided this part of the Mueller report is true, okay, provided it's true, that clearly would have been an act of obstruction of justice. That's not even a debatable point, in my view. 
Um, because who's, McGahn is not a, the spokesperson of the White House. He's not on the comms team. He's the attorney for the, for the president. All right. So this is clearly a matter where the president is now intervening in an area where he has legal. He believes he has legal jeopardy and he's he's imposing an, 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 his representative in that area to act in a way that would obstruct an investigation. And that allegation by Mueller essentially said Trump would have done it if his staff was willing to follow through. Since they balked at it, he backed out. That was Mueller's characterization. And to put some context on what you just said and to kind of support what you just said is this next one, which is related. When that event was publicly reported, Trump asked that McGahn make a public statement and create a false internal record stating that Trump had not asked him to fire the special counsel and suggested that McGahn would be fired if he did not comply. That this is the this is the part that that gives a gray area. This is this is the area where we get beyond you can't charge somebody in a political sense for obstruction of justice when they're using their platform to defend themselves. All right. There's using your platform of the presidency. There is saying using the bully pulpit and say the special counsel's a hack. He's a partisan, et cetera. This whole thing's a witch hunt. You, you, that's that's political. Uh, you know, um, that's just defending yourself politically. In this case, we're now delving into a pure legality of trying to get your legal representative in this area to obstruct the process. If I were advising Justin Amash, and this again goes to where we said a week ago, we don't think he thought this through and it's just reacting similar to what we've seen out of Trump. If I was advising Justin Amash, here's what I would have told him. If you're serious about this, don't put up nine things. That's your one thing. Fine, that's your one thing. Stick to the one thing. I know a little bit about taking out politicians. I've got some experience with it. And one of the things I've learned is 97 charges, sound bites, allegations become white noise. But one or two good ones hurt. That's, to me, this is the area that if the Democrats decide to follow through on this, this will be the area that I think they go to, Todd. Well, but the fact that he doesn't have, he's no dummy, the fact that he doesn't have the one thing makes me believe that he doesn't believe uh, in any one thing. And if you combine three and four together, number three, more context is required. I, you might remember, I don't have the memory you do. Like, what was the, when did he ask for that? When did he ask for me? I don't know that there's ever a good time to say to your attorney, if again, that's why to me it comes to, I don't think it's a context thing to me. It's whether Bob Mueller's telling the truth. Okay. Because there is no good context to tell your attorney who's representing you in a situation of legal jeopardy to try and circumvent the process that's investigating. Well, him. I'm talking about the conflict of interest. What was that? How did it come up? By I don't remember specifically what it was. Uh, I see. Did that, okay. Was that right out of the gate because of these relationships? Was it somewhere in the middle when something came to light? Right. No matter what was okay. going on with the investigation. So I, I don't recall that. That's a good point. That's a good point. But in general, it is oh, yes. never a good idea. For you to say to your legal representative to try and circumvent the the body investigating you, whether you're a, a public citizen or a or a, I'm sorry, whether you're a private citizen or you are a public official, in general, that's yeah, a place agreed. never ever to go to. So, last that being said, number four is my most troubling thing. Uh, it, your fire, uh, you lied Which is the for me. To three, yeah. you're, you lied for me, or you're fired. Uh, yeah. I am. I don't roll like that in any respect of life, no matter what it is, whether we're talking about. Um, you know, you know, running the Kiwanis Club or the president of the United States. That's no. All right. Next one, Aaron. Trump asked Corey Lewandowski, his former campaign manager, to tell Attorney General Sessions to limit the special counsel's investigation only to future election interference. Trump said Lewandowski should tell Sessions he was fired if he would not meet with him. Uh, to me, I think that's very simple. Just call Corey Lewandowski to testify. 
Just subpoena and ask him. Put him under oath. You know, I mean, is that true? I mean, I, I don't think that requires a whole lot of um, um, analysis. Just put people under oath and ask them if that's true. And by the way, Corey Lewandowski is not covered by Department of Justice guidelines that a sitting president cannot be indicted. If that's true, why didn't Bob Mueller indict him? If Donald Trump committed an impeachable offense and those, that's the question I'd ask Congressman Amash. If you believe the context of number five here is an impeachable offense, then, then why didn't Bob Mueller indict Corey Lewandowski? Because who, who, who was the one who carried this uh, impeachable offense out? Who was the one that carried this act of obstruction of justice out? Who is it? It's Corey Lewandowski. So why didn't Bob Mueller indict him then? Do you know? No. No. Well, I mean, so it seemed to me that if there was an if there was an impeachable act of obstruction of justice in number five, the clearly named agent of said attempted instruction obstruction should have been indicted then. Let's get to number six. Uh, Trump used his pardon power to influence his associates, including Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen, not to fully cooperate with the investigation. Well, I mean, that, that worked great. And those guys lost everything and they're going to prison. Manafort will likely never see the light of day again. Okay. So this to me is, it, it, it's a weak overall case with, because you're essentially saying all behavior Donald Trump um, engages in is bad because he is a bad person. And it's the kind of behavior that everybody knew about Trump before, before they he was elected. elected him. Now, but that doesn't mean though that, well, because we knew you were bad, you can yeah. obstruct justice. No, no, no. It means and, you better we, have the smoking gun. Right. That's what it means. And that's why if, if, if what he should have done is made his entire thing about number three and number four. That's the blue. If if you wanted to go after Trump, that's your that's your that's the only potential blue dress here. That's the only potential piece of actual certifiable evidence. Um, and and the fact that they really haven't squared solely in on this indicates to me that this isn't really serious in many respects. It's it's just really about what else are we going to talk about? It's what I tweeted yesterday. Let's face it, every, every both sides want an impeachment, guys. They both do. I mean, I went and counted this morning. The, the president, before he deleted it, the president this morning tweeted, um, Russia tried, Russia helped me win the election, but I didn't, co-. he literally said the words, but I didn't coordinate with them. It was just beyond dumb. And I, I, it prompted me to go into his Twitter account and I counted. I counted them all. 52 tweets since the last time he mentioned anything about the border that's becoming Afghanistan as we speak. 52 yeah. tweets. Since he said a thing. And that tweet was, I'm helpless against the, the Obama judges. You know, what else can I do? I tried and they they wouldn't let me. Okay. He doesn't this is the this is like the 97th time the president has said, case closed, no collusion. Why keep saying it? Well, Steve, the media, no one's watching. Did you see yesterday Greg Gutfeld has a one week, one night a week show on Saturday nights, like at midnight on Fox News, and it has more viewers. Than, than Seth Meyers. Do you see this? No. And it's not even freaking close, actually, by like several hundred thousand. All right? The only people watching this stuff who care what these people think are never voting for you. Govern the country now. It, move on. But see, they don't want to. They don't want to move on. They want this. Both sides want it. There's nothing else to do. The Democrats are getting killed on the issues. They're to the left of everybody in the country who's not a Marxist. So they can't govern. The Republicans hate their base, won't govern. Trump feels like, well, you know, 
What I got left, I, Trump likes it when he's the main story. Put all those three things together. One party doesn't want to, can't govern. One part, the other one doesn't want to govern. And in the middle, you have a president who loves it when he's the center of the universe. So we're going to have an impeachment because there is nothing else to do. All right. So tail, so dog. So let's wag the dog. That, that's what we're going to do. If you remember that movie with Dustin Hoffman and yeah. De Niro in the late nineties, that's what we're going to do. We're going to wag the dog because there is nothing else to do. It's great for clicks and ratings for each side's respective media at the exact same time. And so we're, that's what we're going to do. And it's that very tweet that got me thinking, my goodness, it would be worth, if we could solve that with the impeachment of Trump, I'd say kick the tires yeah. and light the fires, yeah. but it won't. <laughs> it won't. Hey, if you're in the housing market this spring or summer, you need to check out realestateagentsitrust.com before you sign up with an agent. Get one that has been vetted and has been deemed worthy of serving you. And you're, you're looking for an agent that uh, checks off three boxes. One, they've got a track record of success. Two, they understand that data matters, but you got to look beyond the algorithms to the outliers and don't spare the details. And then thirdly, they're courteous. They're, they're, they're likable. I mean, this is a stressful process and you're going to work closely together with your real estate agent. And if you guys don't have a rapport, uh, if you're not feeling uh, like they're as into it and committed to it as you are, I, I, I'm, it's just not going to work. The, the, the lack of these kinds of agents is why Glenn Beck and his associates started this company several years ago, looking for real estate agents that they can trust. They created this network, and now they want to help you find a real estate agent that you can trust. So whether you're buying or selling or you're doing it on both ends, buying and selling, I've done that before too, that is even more stressful than just doing one of those two. All right, you need to find a real estate agent that you can trust. Here's how. Go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. We'll come back. Uh, three non-political questions are next here on The Blaze. Stay tuned. Hey, if you're one of millions of Americans suffering with what's called chronic pain due to inflammation, now this isn't an injury. All right, we're not selling Benny Hinn prayer cloths here or Trump prayer coins, okay? Uh, if you have an injury, go to a doctor. Uh, make sure it's getting the, the treatment it needs to get the healing uh, that uh, you're looking for. But if you're dealing with inflammation, and this can cause chronic pain in the body. Millions of Americans are fighting a losing battle against this. If you're looking for relief, you need to check out Relief Factor. It's a product so many of us here at The Blaze, and now I would add my own name to the list, have had outstanding results with. It's 100% drug-free, even though it's created by doctors who can prescribe drugs. They were just looking for something that would provide a long-term natural relief to the inflammation battle so many Americans are losing nowadays. It's got four key ingredients that will help you win the war against chronic pain. And if you want to try it today, it's just $20, uh, $19.95 for the three-week quick start. They offer this because so many people see great results those three weeks that they end up coming back and using it on a regular basis. If you want to try it, what have you got to lose for a dollar a day, except maybe finally, hopefully the pain. Just go to the web, just go to the website, relieffactor.com. One more time, you'll get the uh, information and the ability to sign up for the quick start there at relieffactor.com. Can I just say one other thing about your montage, Aaron? Yeah. So it was fasting when I got home yesterday and was looking at everybody else's. I, we didn't have a chance. You know, Mueller's statement was about an hour before we came on the air. So we had no chance to really digest the, the rest of our fellow uh, citizens and denizens of the chattering classes' views on this other than just what we thought ourselves. 
So I got home yesterday. I finally had a chance to dissect and digest some of that. And it was fascinating to watch even people who were on the same side of the Mueller divide. Have, I, I couldn't believe how many just took total different takeaways from it, yep. which just lent right to what you two said yesterday about the, uh, the ambiguity that went along with it. And just to cement the ambiguity factor. A few, so the, the thing that Mueller said yesterday that had the most tongues wagging in the pro-impeachment crowd is that, um, you know, if you lay, if the way he laid out the, the longstanding Department of Justice guidelines that a sitting president can't be indicted uh, and, you know, what are indictable offenses, we have a political process for that, that he essentially said, if I could have indicted Trump, I would. Right. That's what we read the comments from Judge Napolitano yesterday during the show. He zeroed in on, on that. Right. I saw Alan Dershowitz, who, is, who had been kind of pro molar up until that point. He turned on that. All right. The whole world seemed to turn on that point. And then a couple of hours later <laughs> comes a statement well, where both the, the special counsel's personal spokesperson and the attorney general's personal spokesperson wanted to make clear that the uh, that special counsel bar or I'm sorry special counsel Mueller was not saying the only reason he didn't indict Trump is because is because of those department of justice guidelines and if they weren't there he would have done so so yesterday he calls a a press conference to read a statement to to claim he wants to provide clarity and then has to provide a clarification later to that attempt at clarity. If that's not this whole story it, over the last two plus it, years in a nutshell, a, I don't know what is. And it wasn't a clarification either because they basically said, you read that statement, they said, yes, we said this and it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't contradict what we said earlier in the day, but we didn't say that. It, it, it is so odd. I, well, it's not odd. It's our normal. It's our normal. And I think a lot of it is because there's there's just a group of people who want this to happen. And I, and I think that um, both the special counsel's office and the Department of Justice are fighting a losing battle and making any attempt to put any semblance of adulting here. And it just, it won't be permitted. I mean, it, everything is going to be interpreted. All narratives must be reinforced and fulfilled, Todd. And so no matter what they say, everything's going to be interpreted in the, in the lens of those particular narratives. Well, this, it's the show... Must go on. It must go on. Yes. And when the show came to a perhaps unsatisfactory conclusion for many involved, but it was a conclusion nonetheless. Um, but uh, the people still decide the show must go on. I mean, jumping the shark isn't going to be come close enough to be able to describe what we're going to see over and over again. The, the way you're going to have to just reset nonsense in order to go on. It's just, we're just in walk. This is walking dead territory. I, I, it's zombies. It, it, it's, it's Iron Man three territory. The, the left. <laughs> Don't do that to the, the, the left. Come the on. Left we feels, ended on a good note. Let's the just the leave left it. feels about the molar probe the way I felt walking out of Iron Man three. All right. So psyched. We're going to finally get the Mandarin. They even alluded to him in the first movie with the society of the 10 rings is who kidnaps Tony Stark. And he's the classic Iron Man arch villain, one of the great villains of the Marvel universe, right? The trailers to Iron Man three, where they painted him, they tried to modernize him as kind of a modern uh, Osama bin Laden esque figure. We all thought, man, they just nailed that. Right. And then you get to the movie and it's a guy named Trevor Slattery and there's nothing happening here. And the whole thing's a farce. That's how they feel about this, about this investigation. They really thought, I mean, the teasers looked good. The trailer looked good. They thought the guy was riding in here on a white horse to hand them over 
uh, the template uh, to get Shorty. And instead, it was more like a pale horse, kind of spotted, and then he rides in and out, and he's kind of ambiguous, and and you realize that, you know, it, it, this isn't the Mandarin, it's Trevor yeah. Slattery. That's, that's what Bob Mueller to, has done to the left here. To me, it's like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they create the large wooden rabbit and wheel yeah. it in there, and yep. they forgot to put the guys in there to jump out. <laughs> and what do we do now? Well, we could wield a large wooden that, badger. That's, that's actually better than mine. That I hate to perfect, admit that, Dad. that's true. Yeah, it's actually better than mine. All right, let's get to it. This week's edition of Three Non-Political Questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Destiny. And our computer is a wonderful thing. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Technology doesn't always work. But sometimes it do. Three non-political questions because, you know, we need to break from all things Mueller because, you know, um, these these little, uh, you know, moments in time when we can talk about something that doesn't involve Trump and Russia and collusion and uh, and impeachment. Oh, my. Uh, we're going to need them more and more because that's basically all that's going to be in the news cycle for the next probably uh, two years. Uh, first question and the first two questions are from a guy named Steve who um, suggested some questions to me, and I thought they were good, so I'm using them. So thanks, Steve. Uh, First question, if you were stuck on an elevator for 12 hours, would you rather be stuck with the Joker, Ra's al Ghul, or Scarecrow? Dear God. Oh, wow. Steve's a chilling character, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. um, Does Steve have a chaperone? (laughs) That's, I mean, um, who's the, uh, Ra's al Ghul. I think this is easy. Yeah, and you probably at some point, tripping out with a scarecrow would be kind of hard. Yeah, there's a. Let me put it this way: Which one gives you the 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 highest likelihood that you could walk out of there alive? And it's it's it is it Roz? Is it Ray Shalgul? It's it's been pronounced both ways throughout the character's history. But uh, he would be your only chance of getting out of that elevator alive. Well, I don't know. The other two are pretty mercurial. But he's your best chance. Not just alive, but permanently damaged. I'm not saying it's a great chance, but I think he's your best one. And before that, I think you could have some fantastic existential conversations before whatever goes down, whether you get out or not. I mean, Batman Begins, they, those guys were, they had a good time talking it out. Here, here's a question for you. What do you think of Cillian Murphy as, as Lord Nefarious? What do you think? Um... Is that the guy yeah. who played Rachel Ghoul? Yeah, no, play Scarecrow. Yeah. Oh, Scarecrow. Oh, yeah. Ho, ho, ho. yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've got my heart set on bigger, even bigger fish. No. Yeah. Sold uh, to the man of the cold sweat. Yeah. You, you stay married longer and you'll realize lower your expectations. Go ahead, Aaron. Um, I would probably go. Actually, I, I, I'm going to contradict myself from a few moments ago. I would actually go with Scarecrow because you uh, would. You take your chances with that. Well, yeah, because uh, if he if he does his like uh, aerosol drug thing, I'd be tripping out. I wouldn't know what's going on. So I don't know if it, he'd kill me or not. It would be a really probably a bad trip. But I feel like it'd be. <laughs> A Probably. Lot, a lot did less. Did you see the movie? Yeah, I did. It was a bad trip. It was it was slightly bad, yeah. <laughs> it would yeah. be a lot less painful, potentially, than getting stuck on the bad side of the Joker or Ra's al Ghul. So. Would you like to see my mask? Yeah. 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 You, uh, don't, you don't want to see his uh, mask. The no, answer to that question is no. no. I think we yeah. all agree the Joker would be the worst. Yeah, don't. No. Yeah, don't Don't even take your chances. No. Yeah. 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 There's no chance. Yeah. 
Uh, which movie franchise that was kind of bad or not up to snuff would you like to redo and uh, make good? Um, the Star Wars prequels, the Star aside Wars from, postquels. Aside from Star Wars, Todd. <laughs> How do you ruin a Justice League movie? Yeah. I'm not over it. Aaron, you and I can go for a while. Yeah. Steve's going to just... I'm not getting over it. And... Um, I don't think I even ever saw that Justice, Justice uh, League. It'll... I'll never... I'll never be over it. Now, if I had to choose another one, if you guys are tired of hearing me going on and on never. and on about that... Never. I, I just... I mean, I, again, I was five-year-old little Stevie in my super friend's underoos, man, getting up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to watch challenge of the super friends. I mean, I've wanted, I've wanted to, to, to do this for most of my life and to go there and just see the hatchet job they did. I even tried, I'm like, you know what? Maybe my nostalgia is working against me and I was wrong. I was too hard on this movie. And I tried to watch it about two weeks ago. I almost knifed somebody. I, 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 I couldn't do it. I mean, it was so, so bad. Was that a sequel to Batman versus Superman? Yes. Yeah. See, I part like of that, Batman versus I think Batman Superman. versus Superman is the, is the most underrated of all the comic book movies. I think it is really good. I agree with you. Uh, Justice League is really bad. Now, if I had to do another one, it would be the, it would be, um, the, the Star Trek The Next Generation movies went off the rails after the uh, first contact. The next movie uh, where they're on this stupid planet is dumb. And then the next movie after that, where they've got a Romulan clone of Picard, was so terrible that it ended up ruining the franchise. Um, they should have, the, the next movie after First Contact should have brought Q in as a villain, okay? Um, and they should have built on that. So that would be the number two on my list. But it's way down my list, way down my list, because of, uh, I, I am still broken over the Justice League movie. So. How far did you get in this next time before you were, I mean, what was it? Like 20 minutes in I, earlier? I, I started what? watching it in the middle of it. I saw it was on. I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. And I just, you know, got 15 minutes into it and I'm just like, I hate all of you. Yeah, I mean, that's how, how did you do this to me? I mean, we deserve better than that. Wow. Hey, uh, side question before you answer, Todd. Steve, do you think DC is capable or is there a story arc that would be possible or plausible to create that could rival what, uh, not rival, but at least come close to doing what Marvel did? Yeah. And actually it was the one that they were about to work on. I mean, you have to remember Marvel fan, and I'm a Marvel fan, but almost everything Marvel does is derivative yep. of, the D of DC because DC was first and did almost all these things first. Thanos is a derivative of Darkseid. Darkseid came first. Okay. So... They were on the way of doing with doing the exact right thing, and somewhere that that was the way to do it. All right, um, you just use dark side as as because you got to come up with an impetus to get all these people to work together, right? A greater threat, something of that nature, and and the way they did it, even the way Snyder teased it with the nightmare scene and Batman versus Superman, they actually were in the in the place of setting it up the exact right way. Okay. And then I don't know what happened when they got into doing that movie. I, I don't know what happened with Zack Snyder, uh, with the what Warner Brothers decided, um, you know, and then they brought in, uh, you know, what's his face who did the first uh, Avengers films. Um, 
and tried to lighten the mood a little more. And it's just, they couldn't pull it off for whatever reason, but they had the right formula. Yeah. You bet. Uh, it's interesting. You mentioned Star Trek. I would go with the, um, the, the reboot, the, the first of which with Chris Pine and it's fabulous. It's, it's a great movie. And the trailer is pound for pound one of the greatest Agreed. movie trailers ever made. I mean, should win uh, an award for best use of a Beastie Boy song in a movie trailer. When, I agree. I mean, when when yeah. Admiral what's his face in the beginning is that your father did this and this. I dare, you to, this, do I dare you to do better. I'm like, yeah. oh my, can I run into a burning building somewhere? Yes, it is excellent. But the 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 Wrath of Khan, not Wrath of Khan. What is he? Is it's, he? The not? problem is, it's a good movie, but it was it's, too early to do that reboot. Well, it's good, okay. but it's not great. Yeah. And then the next, the next one, one was disastrous. Was, yeah. Well. It, but the actors, the casting, they're great. They're fun to watch. And now we've been how many years since that last they, one? They take them off they the doing Enterprise and separate them. What was the point of that movie? Yeah. yeah. So what are yeah what are they doing with this when they've got? Yeah. I mean, no one like they they want to do another one. And Pine is saying, unless you write me a better script, I'm not coming back. And that's why they haven't made. So you're making one. yeah you're making my point for yeah. me. Yeah. This is going to sound really counterintuitive. Um, and it's not because these were necessarily bad. I just think they could have been a lot better um, or maybe maybe done a little bit closer to the books. And that would be the Harry Potter franchise. It's, it's not that they're bad movies. Some of them are really good. I just think once you get to the Goblet of Fire, you got to start putting them, you know, you got to start cutting them up into into two part movies or make it into a TV show. It's again, it's not that they're bad. Wow, I, uh, it's I not think that, that's a great series of movies. Yeah, it's wow. not that they're bad at all, but I would I would like to see them redone and take take your time, take a little bit more time. All right, uh, third question: What's something that you would be embarrassed to admit on live radio? I don't know that there's much left, man. I mean, uh, this is a trap. So yeah, I have to say it. Yeah, it, I, <laughs> the thing I'm embarrassed about. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. There's almost nothing I'm embarrassed to admit. There's things if I admitted them, you'd be embarrassed to hear though. That's a different question. Like, I mean, I'm almost, there's almost nothing I'm embarrassed to admit. You know, I'm pretty open, frankly. Um, Most of them are, though there are things I have not admitted only because I think others would be embarrassed to hear them. But, you know, ask me no questions. I'll tell you no lies. There's really not much, man. There's not much for me. Uh, Let's... I think I'm somewhere in that ballpark, but also shame is an important thing. Uh, having faith and understanding one's sinful nature does not mean necessarily, therefore, you should spit them into the world as if they are. Um, that's exactly what a penitent is supposed to do. I mean, th- there's shame is um, ultimately tied uh, to humility. Um, and accepting the grace that comes with being healed, but not not simply. I mean, if there's a time and a place and a way your story can heal particular people, particular groups, then testify. But uh, I, yeah, I'm ashamed of things I've done in the past, absolutely, and I wouldn't want to tell anybody. And I think if I did, it wouldn't. It might help certain people's witness. It might not have everybody's witness. If you, you've been pretty uh, vocal about a lot of things you've done, um, but I think if you just if all of a sudden all of our souls were just bared. Is there a one of us who would be able to stand? And that's no, that's that's well said. But that's exactly why you. I don't. I'm, yeah. I have no problem being honest about things. Yeah, that's very yeah. well said. It went a completely different direction than what I was anticipating. Yeah, he, um, he Jesus juked you. Yeah. Mine is. Um, I'm older than Patrick Mahomes. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets here this spring, don't call Aaron. 
Um, <laughs> or and, Patrick Mahomes. Or Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> We're having these philosophical conversations. <laughs> I'm older than Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Uh, you must try. <laughs> Kid. You must try Genesis 950. Uh, Genesis 950 is an amazing pet stain and odor remover. It breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so that they are gone for good. And its antibacterial component uh, removes pet stains and odors from the carpet as well as the padding, which is the real uh, bugaboo. All right, you got to deal with, okay? It can be used in carpet cleaning machines and it's green safe, which means therefore it's safe for your kids and your pets as well. You can even use it to clean the whole house. Um, you can put it even on the good stuff in the kitchen, the quartz and the granite. Uh, you can even put it on the uh, the oil stains and the grease stains in the garage. Uh, but uh, before you buy new carpeting, you must give Genesis 950 a try. Here's how. Uh, just go to the website, genesis950.com. Again, genesis950.com. Uh, when you go to checkout, use code BLAZE. We'll throw in a spray bottle, but a discount as well. Okay, you want that discount for sure. All right, so promo code BLAZE when you go to genesis950.com. That's genesis950.com. Back to what you said. I, it's not that I haven't done things. There's, I've done plenty of things I'm ashamed of. I'm not ashamed to admit them, though, because of the changes I've seen undergo in my life. But there's some things that m might um, shame other people for me to reveal. Does that make sense? I just, yeah. I yeah, didn't yeah. say ashamed. I was like, you know, I can't change my own oil. I can't, Oh, yeah, know. I can't change my own oil, but I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, I'm proud of the fact I that I can pay people to live for me. Oh, you're not even embarrassed? No, not in the least. Oh. No. I love the Benjamins, baby. You two have uh, met each other before, right? <laughs> Hour two is next. with hour two of the steve day show live and on demand here on the blaze 888-900-3393 is the number 888-900-3393 steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us like us on facebook follow us on twitter at steve dace show and that last name for those of you getting the audio only portion of the program today is d-e-a-c-e -E. by the way if you are listening via the podcast today, regardless of the podcast platform of your choice. If you like what we do here, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate that. Thousands of you have done this for us already. We are very grateful to all of you. If you'd like to join their ranks, we'd be grateful to you as well. The more of those we get, the more chances we have to find more people just like you. We have Theology Thursday coming up here at the bottom of the hour. We're going to start a new series there. Five dumb things smart people believe. Um, also, you know, we uh, as a show, like most of you, are concerned about America's continued creep towards socialism. We're very aware of what rising voices on the left want to impose on America. But our friends over at FreedomWorks are concerned about one department in particular of the Trump administration. That's the Department of Health and Human Services. Their secretary, Alex Azar, is helping the left's cause by letting foreign countries dictate the prices of our medicine. Doing this will lead to shortages of vital medicines and set medical research back decades, making it harder for researchers to find cures or treatments for even the most horrible of diseases like uh, diabetes, Alzheimer's, and cancer. 
I don't know about you, but I don't think any of us here signed up for foreign governments to meddle with our health care. Absolutely nothing America first about that. If you agree, FreedomWorks would uh, like you to uh, lend your voice alongside theirs in getting the administration, particularly Secretary Azar's attention here. Tell him to fix patients, not prices. Make no mistake about it. Letting foreign countries uh, dictate our health care and uh, pharmaceutical policy here in the States does not put Americans first. If you agree, go to freedomworks.org slash my last name, Dace, freedomworks.org slash your Dace and add your voice uh, to help FreedomWorks get the attention of Secretary Azar and the administration uh, to get them to put America first here. Freedomworks.org slash Dace. Well, he's an old friend of the program and he joins us now. Dr. Duke Pesta is here. Uh, he is uh, has his own show, uh, but he also is uh, one of the folks behind Freedom Project Academy. You've heard us talk about that on the program in the past. Duke, it's good to see you, man. How are you? Great to see you, Dave. Thank, uh, Steve, thanks for having me. You can call me Dace if you want. In Dave. fact, you can even call me Shirley. I'm okay with that as well. All right. So I saw Charles Payne at Fox Business uh, send out a tweet about you uh, the other day. Uh, he liked your proposal on scaling back the costs of uh, of higher ed. Would you like to share that with our audience? Well, you know, the this was precipitated this conversation by the the Hollywood scandal, Lori Laughlin, and all that. And the thing that bothers me about this is is people have been buying their way into school since there were schools. This is not new. Are we really surprised that rich Hollywood exec, uh, actors and actresses are spending a lot of money to get kids into schools? What bothered me was no one was talking about the university's angle on this, how the universities are taking this money, even the legacy system at Harvard, right, where second-rate intellects, second-generation kids get to go to those schools simply because their parents did. And so my argument to Charles was one thing we can do is put the universities on the hook for some of the student loan debt. Rather than having left-wing politicians like Bernie Sanders waive that debt for kids, these are adults who entered into legal contracts with, with banks to pay these loans back, what if we made the universities pay half of all student loans for kids who do not graduate. These, these universities are taking kids all the time because the money's there, and mm -hmm. these kids fail out in two or three years. What if we made the universities have to pay at least half that money back? Hmm. In other words, uh, sort of a merit program for them. You know, what are, what are the results that they are producing in the end? I mean, if, if the only reason to go to college, it's not to self-actualize, it's not to find yourself. I mean, you go to college because you have a gift or an interest in pursuing a field that requires a higher level of accreditation, right? A higher level of training and, and that you can only acquire in a university setting. And so you go there in order to acquire said training in order to certify that you're employable with that particular gift or interest, right? That's why you go, right? Now, what you just said is what it used to be, mm -hmm. right, until in 2009, the Obama administration took over the federal student loan program, right? Before that, you had to go to banks. And a bank was only going to give you money if you were accreditable, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be a lawyer and you want $100,000, the banks will give that to you. If you're going to be a feminist creative writer, you're not going to get it. Mm. But under the Obama administration, universities became much more about inclusion than they did academic excellence. So everybody gets to go now, and even kids who don't want to be there, kids who aren't interested really very much in college, and they get the same amount of money. And so what you said is the way it should be. We should send kids to higher universities because they have higher aspirations for themselves intellectually and professionally. Uh, and to do that, then you have to weed out those kids who are coming simply because it's available and inclusive for them to go. Uh, I can tell you, Steve, in my university classes, about four out of 10 of my students, 40%, shouldn't be there. Either they wow. can't do the work 
or they won't do it uh, attitudinally. And yet we can't fail out 40% of our student body. I mean, that's 40% of meal plans that aren't sold, 40% of dorm rooms that are unoccupied. So we're really in a bad situation, and it's because universities have defaulted to inclusion and, and social justice rather than their mission, which was to give those kids who were able and willing to get a higher education the best possible chance of getting one. So what you're really talking about is a bureaucracy, therefore, that its prime, its, its prime directive is just to sustain itself, right? So we, we really can't have any merit-based um, or, or, or standard-based system to determine merit because that would cause uh, tithing units, for lack of a better description, uh, for us to have to eject them. And, you know, we got to keep the lights on and we got to pay for our 97 uh, social justice administrators and inclusion advocates and grief counselors here on campus when you're triggered. And that money's got to come from somewhere, right? So it comes from, we give people grades and degrees that frankly, they just aren't qualified to actually uh, use in the private sector. No, you're exactly right. And the social justice aspect of it, to me, as a professor for the last 25 years, is the worst aspect of this. You get these kids to school that don't belong and that in some many cases don't want to be there. And then if they fail out, it's not the kid's fault. It's white supremacy's fault mm-hmm. or it's racism's fault or sexism or you, we're, we're discriminatory against people of alternative sexualities. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. You bring kids in who can't make, who can't make the cut. And then when they don't make the cut, that's proof you need more kids like them because those kids didn't pay in the name of social justice. Everything you just said, Duke, is why I believe absolutely within five years, all this student loan debt's all going to be forgiven and this is going to be quote unquote free because we have, we have, we have gone from the eduocracy, for lack of a better description, the ed, where this had some semblance of a merit-based system just controlled by pagan, utilitarian, leftist educrats to now a fully based, subsidized, government system now and once you go into a fully based subsidized government system where do you tell the next generation after you've already subsidized their parents and grandparents from cradle to grave that you can't get your student loan debts forgiven but you can continue to work for your grandparents social security uh, check you can't do that all right that's a losing political argument there is no needle to thread you cannot win you can't have grandma saying hey you got those notes you should pay them off while you know she's collecting her medicare part her 19 medicare part d prescription subsidies that won't work and no politician can make that argument duke so again i'm not advocating for it i'm the weatherman telling you what the forecast says all right i don't determine the weather i'm just checking the temp the barometric pressure and the cloud cover and i'm telling you that's the storm front coming through this is all getting forgiven and i wouldn't be shocked if it was done if trump's reelected before he leaves office frankly Yep, and as far as weatherman goes, you would be the first weatherman who is 100% accurate in his predictions ever. (laughs) That's exactly what's coming down the road, Steve. I mean, and we're already there. I mean, I've spent a lot of time, we've been on your show talking about Common Core, and and one of the things you could talk about Common Core for the middle and high school kids, it's doing in middle and high school now what college is doing to kids. It's no longer about excellence or even really the first priority of our schools, our public schools, is in education. It's, It's conformity, it's social justice, it's changing the culture, it's creating progressive thinkers. And so what's been going on since the 1960s in the universities is now in the elementary, middle, and high schools. And so what the fed, and, and the same federal government, who, who uh, bureaucrats who want free college for kids and free graduate programs, by the way, though don't think for one second that you're going to get a four-year degree free and then not get your medical school free. Mm-hmm. That'll never happen. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're advocating for mandatory free pre-K. They want your kids at three years old till about the time they're 27. And at that point, all of it paid for free, one big collective, collective public 
public school that's really not emphasizing career readiness or knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's just turning kids into the kind of voters who vote for things like free everything, yep. even if we can afford it or not. And, and, and we'll also be gone. Critical thinking will be gone. I mean, if, already if, on the way out. Yeah, when, when all that becomes "quote unquote" free, they're gonna they're gonna dictate what medicine you practice. They're gonna dictate um, what you know. Uh, gender dysphoria is not a mental illness. Um, it's a it's a social justice condition. All of those things, they're gonna determine what all of that is. Because in the end, what progressivism is about more than anything else, it's about control. Absolutely, and this is the socialist angle of it. What they want is that kind of control. They're not interested. And critical thinking, you brought that up. Critical thinking, by definition, means you have to expose kids fairly to a wide range of perspectives, not put your elbow on the scale somehow and turn everything into a social justice commentary. Mm -hmm. You have to ex examine real, diverse ideas, and they don't. That's why the classics are dead on your university campuses and in high school now. We don't read the classics anymore because they expose people. The classic books of Western culture, from the Bible to the Odyssey to Shakespeare, all the way on up, most of them are utterly apolitical. Political. I mean, they're just dealing with great ideas. We can't give those kids these books because it doesn't funnel them down the path we want them to go down. So we replace the classics with very tendentious social justice books, and you get exactly what you want. No, no critical thinking whatsoever. We even do this with what are called modern. What, we, what many people would call modern classics, Duke. I mean, you look at you look at Catcher in the Rye, for example. I mean, it was considered contrarian, iconoclastic in its day. Right, um, all the all the all the hipsters, lefties wanted you wanted the kids to read it, you know, when they were pushing back against the man and the establishment in 1950s, uh, you know, homogenization. And then once they got control of all of those uh, institutions, suddenly that book they have no interest in it anymore because they don't want any sort of uh, contrarian thinking uh, to occur. Because you might contrarian yourself out of the thinking they would prefer that you have, right? And so it's four legs are good, two legs are bad and then eventually four legs are good brother but two legs they're even better duke yeah, no doubt. And t a more modern example is to, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, which was the gold standard of progressive self-righteous thinking. Right. I mean, Attica Atticus Finch, believe it or not, was voted the number one hero in all movies going back 100 years. Uh, uh, the, the, the prime character that promoted a social justice worldview, well, uh, the, the sequel to that book came out, and it showed that uh, Atticus was kind of a man of his own times, had some racist opinions himself in the 1930s in the South, and now the progressive left has turned on the book. The book is no longer suitable for our kids. It's not Tanisi Coates, right? And Angela Davis's propaganda, that's fine for our middle school kids. But To Kill a Mockingbird or Catcher in the Rye, those are long gone. What I like is the fact you have attempted to push back against this. You and I first met, you mentioned uh, in the battle against Common Core, you guys established Freedom Project Academy to create education options for parents that want their uh, to help their kids escape uh, this road to nowhere, but you're combating this in your own classroom. Um, there was a story, we actually ran a story about it here at The Blaze uh, last fall before the school year started. You make your students there, it's the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, that's where you teach, correct? Yes, you sir. you make your, your students there at, at university, you make them all sign a contract. Tell us about this. Yeah, I mean, I got tired of every semester a Title IX complaint, right? We've rigged the Title IX now that any student who complains for any reason, universities are morally compelled to, in, 
to engage in these lengthy uh, investigations, even if there's nothing to the initial complaint. Well, I created a large document, a contract, so to speak, that guarantees free speech, and it makes kids not just guarantee, not just sign on to their agreement, that they have free speech, which means everybody else has spe free speech, that free speech can only be maintained if people who radically disagree with you get to speak as well. I have them sign a number of individual points on the contract to stop them from engaging in, in certain <laughs> kinds of behavior. In fact, one of the one of the comments I make is, please drop the class immediately if you feel <laughs> entitled to censor the thoughts or words of others or insist they tailor your lang their language to your preferences. To me, this gets us around the gender pronoun problem, mm -hmm. right? People not wanting to, not wanting to. You have the right to ask me to call you anything you want. I have a right not to. And that's how we're going to behave civilly. You have the right to ask. I have the right to decline. You, nobody in my classes gets to tell anybody else what they can think or say. And you got to sign that before you're allowed to stay in the class. So you have a right to ask. You have a right to decline. You don't have a right to compel. That's right. Mm. It's not free speech if you do that. All right. So Duke, school year is ending around the country. Parents are thinking about what they're going to do next fall. Tell them why they want to take a look at Freedom Project Academy and where they can find your podcast as well. Well, we are, you know, it's important for us to, to know that there are alternatives. There are a lot of moms and dads who want out of the public schools, but they don't feel equipped to be able to do homeschooling themselves. And so we provide basically what I consider to be a homeschool partnership with moms and dads. We have real live teachers teaching through the computer screen in real time classes. So our kids, and you know this, your son Noah has been with us for a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, it works very well. Uh, we're classical Christian-based education. All the things that we just complained about, we don't do in our school. No random standardized testing, no no politics. Uh, Christ is welcome in the classroom. And so it's something that we can do to help you online if you're interested in that. And uh, thank you also for letting me mention the Dr. Duke Show. It's a podcast. There's nothing like this, Steve, I think, anywhere uh, in the uh, the conservative or the media in this country at all. It's a, a, a one-hour-a-week show, and it's dedicated to education issues from kindergarten, pre-K, all the way through graduate school. We look at the worst stories that are going on in the schools. We give you practical advice. I'm a 25-year university professor. My co-host is a master's degree in political science and a former student of mine. And so we go through the roster of these, these issues and we show moms and dads exactly what's happening at all the levels and what they can do to push back. It's the Dr. Duke Show, and they can find it at drdukeshow.com or go to freedomprojectfpeusa.org. Look at Freedom Project Media, and they can find the Dr. Duke Show there as well. Thank you, Duke. Good to see you, brother. God bless. Take care, okay? Great to see you, Steve. Thanks. Talk to you soon. All right, take care. Hey, if you've got uh, itchy ears, ear pain, or that plugged up feeling, maybe you're constantly asking people to repeat themselves. If that's you, you could be like uh, scores of Americans who will be forced to visit a doctor at some point uh, this year in order to get their ears professionally cleaned. Long waits, hassles, co-pays, then maybe a prescription as well. Well, now you can just DIY it. Uh, with our, our friends over at WaxRx. We we tried this on uh, our son Noah uh, over the uh, Memorial Day weekend vacation we had, and it works great. I mean, we were, we were in and out of there probably in about 10 or 15 minutes with minimal complaining. And if you know Noah, that's a win, okay? So uh, if you want to try this right now, uh, it's a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH condition formula just like the pros do. You can do it now in the comfort and convenience of your own home and without a prescription. Try it risk-free today. Go to usewaxrx.com. That's usewaxrx.com and use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping at usewaxrx.com. Gentlemen, any thoughts on the conversation we had with Duke Pesta and Aaron? This is in your wheelhouse. I want to start with you. Yeah, I mean, this is everything we just heard is just the uh, 
the underscoring of the farce that that is uh, education, education in America. It, it has succeeded wildly at producing a lot of really, really highly intelligent, stupid people. And that that is basically it is it is it exists <laughs> to exist. It is just a, a giant bureaucracy um, which is created, you know, uh, thanks to the government guaranteeing loans for basically anybody who wants them and wants to go to college. Uh, we are de-incentivized. I mean, this is just the model of it all. The foundation of higher education, that is broken in and of itself. And that's not even counting all the social, all of this stupid stuff that they put in gender studies departments, that that type of thing. And um, how do you, I mean, how do you actually blow up this system? How do you actually end the self-perpetuation that is the bureaucracy of, of higher education. It's by understanding, and I think we talked about this at some point last week, understanding that you don't have to go to college. You don't have to go to college. Um, and parents, you don't have to put your kids through college. Now, it just so happens, and in my situation, yet less, less you know, I, I, I'm being a hypo- hypocrite here. My Kind of one of my parents' goals in their life um, was to put all five of us through college and uh, or at least give us the opportunity if we wanted to go through and pretty much yeah every last one of us has has been through college and we are now doing what we wanted to do and we wouldn't have had the opportunities to do that without going to college so it for for us it has worked and for my siblings i would say it's worked out pretty well um i would have never had this opportunity i would not be sitting here right now if i hadn't had um, the experience that college gave me and i'm not talking about the experiences and finding myself experience practical experience doing what you know some of what i'm doing now so it's not for everybody but just the notion that you have to go to college guys uh, people especially nowadays kids are not prepared to make decisions for the rest of their lives um at 16 17 18 as they're preparing to go to college i knew exactly what i wanted to do so it was an easy decision but a lot of kids they they're they're they are trying to actually figure out who they are and what they are good at and the intersection of what they are good at and what they can actually get paid for. And most of them, they can't make that. De- I'm not being condescending. They just can't make that decision uh, sure. at that point in life. So Think about the fact I, that we're telling them you can't buy a beer, but you can enter into a six-figure loan yeah. for a degree that you may halfway through change your you, mind what your major ought to be that, that five not times. Even, not even bankruptcy or death will make that go away. Right. Um, that you have to, parents have to understand, and I think this is more incumbent on the parents than the students, but parents have to understand, don't make them go to college. Don't pressure them to go to college right away. If it's a dude uh, and he wants to go into sociology, no, 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 no. don't go to college. Uh, you know, kick his butt out of the house and make him get a real job work on his own for a while, and then maybe he'll be able to find out what he's actually good at in the real world. Um, but you just cannot accept this lie that you have to go to college. That's the way that this is going to end. Aaron, now ask me what my college degree is in from the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> that would be English. sociology. Don't! <laughs> oh, <crap. laughs> college is dumb. School is dumb. Listen, I just said Duke is Exactly right. You you must be aggressively assertive in your saying of Steve's use of the Rosa Parks. No, with that, I love what he does with that contract. I recently had a circumstances of my kids' public school. 
administrators for the most part are great over there. But they were dropping the ball big time on some things. Uh, and they like to have these conversations and these soft tones. And let's, and I, no, 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 no. This is how things, I know the policy. I've done mm-hmm. all the research. This is how it's going to be done. They still want to keep it that way. So I go to social media and I just, I out what's going on. And they get very frustrated about that. So what they do, I got blocked last week from multiple public school accounts. The insignia, it says there, and I, so I outed them on that as well. And I went directly to the superintendent and I says, you, you, you understand you can't do that, right? And he's like, I'll, t- I'll, I'll change it immediately. I mean, the, but the, it, the, they count on engaging you in this, let, let's just all get together in this for the children. To- no, 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 no. For the children is going to be according to a different set of rules my way. Either you do the job that you say you want to do, or we're going to have an uncomfortable co- conversation. Then now, so, so the people that can't define what a yeah. child is want you to come together for the children? Exactly. Yeah. Don't play. Don't yeah. play. Yeah. By the way, Todd, I, I really meant that extremely personally, and I hope you took that really, really personally. <laughs> you know, it's been fascinating for us, and I mean, we tend to roll in churchy conservative circles because birds of a feather, right? How many people with Anna graduating last week and her graduation parties on Saturday, and so a bunch of people are coming, and how many people are like, well, where's she going to school? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why she has to make that decision right now. She may not go to school. And there's like, there's always this awkward pause. Yes. Yeah. I know. And I'm like, I don't, I told her, if you're not sure what you want to do, you don't have to know right now, you know, and she's got a full-time job. Basically she likes what she's doing. And, um, you know, if she's not interested in pursuing a career that requires, uh, starting a debt clock, don't. You know, it's okay. Well, well, this is what I'm saying. This has to be on the parents. I mean, uh, she's got a great example because, I mean, your wife is is finishing up her master's right Right? now. Yeah. Um, Her second one, actually. Second second master's right now. Um, So you don't have to, you don't have to right out of high school when you're really, you don't have to go right away. I mean, you can, if, if you figure out what you're good at, you can do it a few years down the road or maybe many years down the road. You don't have to do it right away, but it's that pressuring, it's, I mean, you're you're being sold a lemon uh, quite often, more often than not, when you go to college, because most of these, I, at least in my experience, they just go there for the experience, and then they come out with a degree that's not really valuable. Um, and again, it's incumbent on the parents. I, I would have paid point. good money if, within that Christian homeschool setting, right after that, you would have gone like. <laughs> Do I smell some idol worship going on in yeah. here? Because really, that's at the heart of this yeah. thing. The, the assumptions that we just think are the way we put our lives on autopilot yeah. outside of the gospel. In many respects, it's reminiscent of when we would have non-Christian family members and friends when we first started homeschooling Anna, because she was our firstborn. She's four years older than any of her siblings. And so when we first started homeschooling her, there'd be the exact, we're going to school, we homeschool. And there'd be the exact same awkward hesitation and pause for a second it, it's all it's happening all over again every time we don't say yeah, yeah. she's immediately oh, I, yeah she you know she has no pre- she doesn't have to be you know hey steve dace's daughter has got to go and do that no she doesn't she just needs to be a you know anna and do what anna wants to do and ultimately she answers to god for that not to me now she's an adult you know i'm not letting her you know she lives in my house she we just did spring cleaning she probably did. The, she got a level. She 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 probably did the second highest amount of work. You know, right next to the old man who only did the most because I'm just so dang picky you, about you. that stuff because I'm me. You know, so it's not like she just gets to mooch. You know, but in the end, you know, she doesn't have to immediately and, and do what. You know, 
I mean, if she's not sure what she wants to do, then why go there and just start going into debt when you're not sure who you are or what you want to do? Absolutely. There's no point to it, you know? Hey, if you watched 60 Minutes recently, they had the uh, the FBI's former head of cybercrimes on there. If you're a homeowner, you need to go check this out because he was warning about uh, home title uh, thievery, uh, something we've been warning you about with our friends at Home Title Lock on this show for several months now. Uh, he was pointing out uh, home titles and mortgages are kept in databases online, which makes them easier for scammers to hack into. If you've got equity in your home and that's what the scammers are after, they want to liquidate that uh, that asset, take it off your hands. That's called stealing. Uh, here's how they get to it. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, stick you then with their payments, and no bank or identity theft program will protect you from that. But for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. They will mobilize to shut down any evidence cyber thieves are trying to tamper with your home, which is the most valuable investment most Americans will ever make in their lifetimes. Protect it with our friends at Home Title Lock. You can right now find out for free if your home's title has already been tampered with, is already vulnerable. It's called a title scan and a report that goes along with that. So you see the results of the scan. All of that is free. It's normally a $100 value, but you get the free title scan and report today for being a part of our family at The Blaze. When you go to HomeTitleLock.com, that's HomeTitleLock.com. All right, when we come back here in a few minutes, we're going to start a new series here on Theology Thursday. And I was sitting, you know, we were debating what to do after we finished our first Bible study. And um, and then we did some things for the Easter season as well. So, you know, what were we going to do after that? And I was sitting in church and we started a series a few weeks ago. And I thought, wow, a lot of these are the sorts of things that come up in my Twitter feed and my emails from believers and unbelievers alike. And we started this series called Five Dumb Things Smart People Believe. And it's essentially tackling canards of, of theological canards. We just talked about one with why do you have to go to college? Yes. I mean, a different that would, aspect. That yeah. would be a cultural canard. Yeah. Yes. And so this, this is a tackling of theological canards. And so here's what we're going to do with this series. It's going to be a little bit different. Um, I've taken an excerpt of, uh, of, the, of the message uh, from my local church uh, here in uh, in West Des Moines that is that did this series and um, and our pastor his name is Quentin who did the uh, did these five we're gonna take we're gonna let you listen to a segment of his deconstruction of these canards each week for the next five weeks and then the three of us are going to add our own uh, take uh, observations commentaries. Uh, on on his deconstructing of the of these canards, but these are all things that you have either seen believers or unbelievers assume or say about the faith, and they they sound really good. It's just as Luke Skywalker once said to Kylo Ren, "Amazing, everything you just said is exactly wrong, right?" But but they are repeated often. That's kind of how they become canards. They become things that people believe are true. But they're not. I remember the first time I was in church and and a pastor said uh, that the Lord helps those who help themselves is not in the Bible. I I I was flabbergasted. You see Babylon B riff off of t- so many yes. of these every single day. I mean, because I was you know, I, listen, I've been a, I was a Republican and a political conservative long before I became a believer. And so I mean that that's absolutely in the Church of American Republican Partyism. The Lord helps those who help themselves, you bet. I mean, right after we get done praying to Barry Goldwater for dinner at night. We are, we, I mean, that's, that's our devotional every night. 
you know, at Team GOP is the Lord helps those who help themselves, right? And when he said this, I'm like, am I at one of those crazy lib churches? <laughs> I mean, I was what? <laughs> but that's an example. See, there, Aaron, again, back to what you said last hour, there's almost nothing I'm too ashamed of, man. That is one of those canards, man, I bought into hook, line, and sinker. We're going to tackle the very first one in our series when we return. So most of us don't have like a stoplight at the kitchen table, dinner table, telling us when it's time to stop eating because that would be weird. But, uh, you know, nature put one, your creator put one in your body. It's called OEA. It's a it's a signal that uh, your gut sends to the brain that says, hey, we're full. We're good. You can stop eating and uh, go about your day. Unfortunately, for uh, too many of us, that signal is weaker than it needs to be. And or as we get older, it, it gets a little weaker as well. And that's one of the reasons maybe why our metabolisms just ain't what they used to be. And it could be the missing link in why you're fighting a losing battle against the bulge. If you want uh, to get on the winning side, give Riduzone a try. It's overwhelmingly main ingredient. It's just this OEA. All it wants to do is strengthen that signal in your body. It's not a stimulant, no caffeine, nothing like that. All right. If you want to give it a shot, um, go to riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone. Riduzone.com. Use my name there at checkout, and they'll give you a discount uh, when you do uh, as well, a special offer, okay? Riduzone.com. Think of it as your body's stoplight, all right? Riduzone.com. So let's begin our new series uh, on Theology Thursday, Five Dumb Things Smart People Believe, Deconstructing Some Canards with uh, my local pastor, Pastor Quentin, at our local church uh, at Valley EV Free in West Des Moines. And the first canard we're to confront, something that is prevalent in Christian television today. If you just have enough faith, everything will work out. Enough faith conquers all. Watch this. Here's the first one. Number one, dumb idea. Faith can fix anything. Faith can fix anything. The idea here is that if you just believe something enough, if you work yourself up to have enough faith to believe something, that eventually it's going to happen. If you can visualize it and and, and have that image in your mind and just believe that it's going to be God's going to give that to you. God's going to make that happen. You can trust God enough and anything could happen. There have been televangelists who have made a sweet living off of this truth. And there have been some, there have been some uh, motivational speakers, unscrupulous ones that is, that have, you know, not, you know, they've, they've, they've gotten a lot, they've gotten a lot of money off of this idea. And the truth is, the faith is fantastic, but can faith fix anything? I mean, you just visualize it and it's going to happen? Okay. My, I'm going to tell some stories today. I'll probably change the names around here a little bit. But I had a friend of mine, and um, his father had cancer. And it had, it had progressed to a very late stage. He was in the hospital, really in his last days. And, uh, and this is a friend of mine, his father. And, and then I'm going to call a, a sincere Christian, I'm going to call him uh, Sincere Sam. Sincere Sam goes and visits... Uh, the dying father in the hospital who has cancer. And he says, you know, I've been meditating upon the word of God and I've been really praying about this and I've just become utterly convinced that God is going to heal your father, that you need to claim that healing in Jesus' name 
And I guarantee you that your father is going to be healed and he's going to live a very good long life. You just need to believe that and receive that. And that's going to be yours. And so my, my friend had a high regard for this person and, and did believe that. And a short time later, his father died. And what happens there is what? My friend gets spun out by that. And it happens all the time. You get spun out because at first you blame yourself. Because I didn't believe enough. If I would have just had more faith, this would have happened. It's my fault. After a while, you, you, you run out of gas on that, and then you get mad at God, right? Because God, if, if I believed you, I trusted you, and you failed me. And some people actually walk away from the faith because they're so disillusioned. That's what happens. But is that really what the Bible teaches about this? The power of just believing it, positive thinking, can, can make something happen? Believe it enough and it will happen? Now, guys, I'm, I'm all for joy and optimism. And I'm a very, I'm one of the most hopeless optimists you'll ever meet. The glass is always half full or more for me. And I'm always looking on the bright side of things. That's just my natural bent. But, guys, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about, and I'm also, by the way, not talking about believing and trusting God for great things and that God can do miracles. He can. He still does. In fact, just this week, our elders gathered around a man who was, who was hurting and who was sick, and he asked us to anoint him with oil and, and pray for him, and we did. And we're believing that God can heal him. And we prayed boldly and with confidence, God, help this man, bless this man. Heal this man in your name. And we're trusting God for that. But ultimately, we recognize that he's the Father. He's God. It's not our will. It's God's. This is to be done. And ultimately, we say, Father, this is your son. So, Father, you know best. And we submit to God. He's God. We aren't. You see, otherwise, it's faith in faith, not faith in God. It's faith in how much I can work myself up to believe rather than faith in God himself. And God has his own mysterious ways. So all for going with confidence and boldness to God's throne of grace. But, but Hebrews 11 gives us a bigger picture of faith. Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the faith chapter. So come with me. If you have a Bible, go to Hebrews 11. It's called the hall of faith sometimes. It lists all these people who are incredible people who had tremendous faith. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 32. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but just a few verses. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead raised to life again. Whoa, 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 wow, that's what we're talking about. That's faith. We will, we will rock you. Yeah, that's what we're talking about, right? But we often stop there and don't read the rest of the chapter, which continues. Other people were, keep going, tortured, not accepting release so they might gain a better resurrection. 
Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. So we love telling the Sunday school stories about Daniel and the lion's den and so forth. That's fantastic. But we usually don't go on to say, hey kids, have faith in God and you'll get tortured. Mocked, beaten, and thrown in prison. Maybe even sawed in half. And not like the magic show, it's for real. Follow God and you'll be wandering around homeless and broke for decades. We don't tell that part of the story. Because to us, that doesn't feel like faith, right? Because we, don't have, a under, we have a misunderstanding of faith. The word of faith crowd, they always name and claim the promises of God, but they always cherry pick their favorites and leave out the hard ones. The word of faith crowd will name and claim the first half of verse 35. That's women received their dead, raised to life again. We got that? They love to quote the first part of that. Uh, But the second part of it, other people were tortured. Nah, they just leave that off. We can and we should pray with confidence and boldness, but ultimately we trust in the power and the wisdom of God. And whether you shut the mouths of the lions or you were tortured... Guess what it says in verse 39? All of these were approved through their faith. They all had the approval of God. They were all great people approved for their faith. They did not receive what was promised. Uh, It says, uh, since God had provided something better for us, so they would not be made perfect without us. God has something better in store. And it wasn't until the fullness of the New Testament that everything came to fruition. But ultimately, our faith is in God, not our faith in faith. And God will do what he wants to do as we trust in him. Real faith in the Bible is simply trusting God enough to do what he says. It has little to do with how hyped up and amped up we become in our emotions or in our mindsets and expecting God to do something. We may, real faith is just trusting God. Even We may even have fears and doubts, but we trust him enough to do what he says. In fact, for me, the Christian life is more like this picture. Um, these are the Calanques or cliffs in, in, uh, in Marseille, France, and they're right outside. I was visiting a missionary here, and he took us uh, on this uh, trip in the, uh, in the, uh, 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 to see the, in the Mediterranean Sea. It was such a beautiful sight. And we started way up here and we worked our way down through these cliffs. And at some points, the path is only about this wide and there's like a 150 foot, 250 foot drop straight down with no guardrail. So you're just clinging to the wall, right? He says to us, I'm a reliable guide. I've done this many times. Follow my direction. Do exactly what I say. And we will get to the destination safely. And it'll be amazing. And he was right. And we made it safely there and back. And to me, the Christian faith, that's what it is. It's a reliable guide through sometimes very difficult terrain. But in the long haul, in the long haul, in this life and in eternity, it'll be worth it. All right, so that's introducing our first uh, dumb thing smart people believe, that faith, if you have enough, faith fixes everything. Faith conquers all. And I really like the distinction there between faith in faith and faith in God. Uh, There was a story several years ago about uh, one of these uh, pastors that preaches this word of faith stuff. 
and was adamant that uh, if you had enough faith, you never get sick. Nothing ever, nothing bad ever happens to you. And his wife was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And so now he's got a choice to make. Okay. Does he abandon his heresy or does he abandon his wife? What, what do you guys think he chose to do? I'm honestly not sure these days, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, he abandoned his wife. He rebuked her from the he, pulpit. He rebuked her from the pulpit and said it was because she lacked faith. And that's why she got the slump and why she wasn't healed. Okay. He abandoned, he, he rebuked her right there on the stage. And, and this canard is what is prevalent and populates the vast majority of what is called Christian television today. All right. Networks like NRB, uh, Jerry Johnson, who runs National Religious Broadcasters, they created that network to try to come up with, a, a, you know, a channel that would actually value orthodoxy as opposed to a lot of these, uh, what I would call, uh, instead of, you know, charismaniac, um, you know, buy our prayer cloths for your love gift this month, um, you know, uh, you know, touch the power lines and uh, uh, God will give us a satellite dish and, you know, uh, what was the Oral Roberts one? If you don't give, God doesn't give me a million dollars by Christmas, he'll call me home. Remember that many, many years ago? That was on national television at the time. We had the clip from uh, uh, from Jim Baker's ministry. I mean, he was one of the, he's one, he's one of the founding fathers of this and he's continued it since he was scandalized and, and defrocked and he's returned now and they were selling what the Trump prayer coins or whatever last week. Yeah. In between uh, selling five gallon buckets of, um, you know, prepper food, they sell those prayer coins. Yeah. So although, you know, buy the prepper food cause we may actually need it, but, uh, don't buy the prayer coins. Anyway, your thoughts, gentlemen, on, on what we this, what pastor Quentin was talking this about. This actually stems, uh, and this might be surprising to hear this actually stems from a really poor, low view of God and a high view of yourself and it's, I think, uh, akin to uh, the story in uh, Luke eight. Yeah, Luke eighteen. Uh, the rich, the the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, "What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God?" Jesus says, "Keep all the commandments." And the ruler says, "I've done that." And Jesus says, uh, the, you, "You still lack one thing. Go and sell all your possessions." And the young ruler said, "It became really sad because because he because his idea." of what this was going to be like did not actually meet up with his expectations or his expectations of what this could or would look like uh, didn't match up with reality. And that's, I think, what drives a whole lot of this um, is that we have a particular idea, expectations of how things will look in our lives, and that includes our faith as well. Who's doing the expecting here? That would be us. We're putting, we're foisting our expectations upon something that uh, that uh, should be a relationship, a relationship with your maker. I've said this multiple times in other contexts as well. There's a difference. Th there's a huge difference between standards and expectations. Standards in a, in a in the context of a dating relationship, that's good to have. Expectations are how you think things are going to look. Mm -hmm. Expectations will kill, kill any relationship. And mm -hmm. we've made this distinction before as well, that our faith is not faith and faith. Our faith is not a, a, a science. It's not an art. It is a relationship. And relationships require time and uh, faithful maintaining. And the way we do that is through, uh, through, through the Bible and through, uh, through prayer as well. Um, but this, what is driving this, I think, a lot if you just have enough faith, X, Y, and Z will happen. 
is our own expectations. We cannot bring our own expectations into a relationship or that relationship will die because eventually, eventually, sooner than later, we will have our expectations let down and then we'll get mad at ourselves, we'll get mad at God. Expectations kill any relationship, including your relationship with your maker. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Uh, starting in church, we're supposed to be made to feel uncomfortable on a regular basis with uh, that reminder, reminder uh, that we are sinners. And we're also supposed to be, as Christians, uh, living out the Great Commission, we're supposed to be uncomfortable, even now, right here in America in the 21st century, and uh, perhaps especially now, uh, because of our testimony, how the way that we live their lives. And, and so this isn't just about what happens in the case where something really bad goes happens? It's also how we live our lives when we don't remind ourselves of that. And we all create this comfort zone where we get to lie to ourselves that nothing's bad happened to me, but you nothing bad could possibly happen if you make sure all your ducks are in a row and you're living, you, you can't tell your life away from the pain. Look, my kids, kids going to college, everything's great, everything's fine, got the, the got the two-car garage, got it all. And when, when there's a moment, whether it's out at the kid's soccer game or something, where somebody needs to take a stand, no, don't rock the boat, things are too good, I don't want to be that guy. Uh, you know, there is that guy, as Bob Vanderplatz offers and reminds us, don't be that guy, but sometimes there's that guy, if you're a faithful follower of Christ, you better be that guy. And everybody pushes it aside. So the and and you live a whole life that way. And you're having family pictures taken with your children and your grandchildren. You're 80 years old and you're looking over the empire you build. And then even though you didn't die of cancer or anything like that, you're still there. And it's like, Jesus, man, I didn't even know you. Um, th- this is all a lie. Are you in God's hands or not? If you are, what is God's plan? And it's hard, but it's not that complicated. Mm. And because you really hate that on some level, you ignore it. Indeed. God keeps things pretty simple for us, but it's not easy. But he does keep it pretty simple. Yes. Hey, we mentioned this at the top of the hour. I want to mention one more time before we get out of here today. Um, uh, FreedomWorks is asking for our help in uh, getting the attention of Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. Uh, who is uh, letting foreign uh, entities determine uh, our drug prices, some of our healthcare policy. There's absolutely nothing America first about that. And that's why FreedomWorks wants to get the attention of the administration, but they need your help. The more voices, the more likely they are to be successful here. So if you agree that uh, you know we put America's interest first, we fix patients, not prices. All right, if you agree with those sorts of principles, uh, go to freedomworks.org slash days. That's my last name freedomworks.org slash dace freedomworks.org slash dace i guess if i had a final thought on this you know particularly in the american mindset so much of the convenience we're afforded as americans has given us almost an allergic reaction to any form of suffering whatsoever right and we there's almost this expectation that you know because we're an exceptional country, therefore we should be sort of absolved from suffering and we should do whatever we could possibly do to avoid it. And, you know, the only living God of the universe, what he offers you is a way through suffering. What he offers you is a purpose to suffering. What he offers you is a victory over, an ultimate victory over suffering. 
He doesn't necessarily offer you an escape clause from it. In fact, the price for him to offer you those victories was he had to take your suffering upon himself. John 3, 17. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. 